and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as he normally did, and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord. good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus. Then they also said, Is not this Joseph's son? Then Jesus said to them, Undoubtedly you will quote this saying to me, Doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. But he said, I assure you that no prophet is welcomed in the prophet's hometown. And I can also assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it did not rain for three and a half years, and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet 
Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was bursting with anger. So they rose up and drove Jesus out of town towards the crest of the hill on which their town was built so they could hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of the crowd and went on his way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. We just heard Jesus' first recorded sermon. And it's awesome. Everybody loves it. And they love him. And isn't that really the point of preaching? <laughs> and yet, just when things are going great, Jesus keeps going. He keeps talking. And as he talks, he starts poking at the folks who are gathered there in the synagogue, at his own people. I suppose you all are just waiting for me to perform a miracle. Guess what? No. I'm not here for you. Elijah and Elisha, they could have healed their own people, but they gave their gifts to foreigners instead. Jesus should have stopped sooner. By the time he did stop, those people that had raised him from a boy were ready to throw him off a cliff and end his life. So was the sermon in Nazareth a success? Or a failure. There's so much in the story that we could talk about together today, but I want to focus today on what Jesus meant when he read and interpreted this passage from the prophet Isaiah. What was Jesus saying that made everybody so mad? So let's find out together and then let's apply that same message to us and we'll see how we feel. How about that? Deal? All right, let's go. All right, Jesus' first public appearance in Nazareth happens right after his triumph over temptation in the wilderness. You all remember that story, right? He had this harrowing encounter with the tempter who asked him to use his powers for his own benefit. And Jesus says no, he resists. 
The very next place that Luke shows us is Jesus at a synagogue in Nazareth. He is a teacher of God's word. He will go to synagogues often to interpret the Torah. So in this scene, Luke announces what Jesus' ministry is going to be about. Jesus is a liberation theologian of the first rate. It shouldn't be a surprise to us to hear that. Mary, when she found out she was pregnant, sang to us all about a God who pulls the mighty down from their thrones and sends the rich people away empty-handed. Jesus says, Mom was right. That's exactly who I am. God's anointed servant will bring justice for the poor, The servant will be on the side of the oppressed. The servant servant will free those whose rights are being violated. And that servant will bring the year of debt forgiveness required by Deuteronomy. Jesus' ministry had and still has an economic and a political agenda. If a church today is seen by people in our community who are poor as good, that is a church of Jesus Christ. If a church today is enacting liberation by reforming our broken criminal justice system, by expanding voting rights to include everyone, by insisting on sex and gender equality, by providing a gracious reception for immigrants and refugees in our community, that is a church of Jesus Christ. If a church today is resisting the exploitative dimensions of capitalism, making sure every single person has a living wage, advocating for universal health care and free child care, preventing corporations from despoiling the earth, that is a church in the spirit of God's anointed servant, Jesus the Christ. So if I were to stop my sermon now, how would you feel? I'm getting some head nods. A lot of you are on board so far. Perhaps you're delighted by my gracious words. I know some might be outraged. We know that the way that we respond to sermons is conditioned by our own preferences and our own biases. We like sermons that reinforce our own worldview, don't we? And we resent sermons that suggest that God's plans are somehow different than ours. So why then were these folks in the synagogue happy and then mad as they heard Jesus preach? We have to learn a little bit more about what was going on to find out. So Jesus read scripture that day. He read from Isaiah 61. It probably wasn't his choice. The synagogues probably had set readings. But the passage he read from Isaiah is a volatile passage. You should know exactly why. Now, the book of the prophet Isaiah, taken as a whole, is itself an extraordinary map of the history of Israel. Scholars today agree that Isaiah was written and edited together in three distinct pieces at three different times over a couple hundred years by three different authors who had three very different social realities about which to reflect theologically. So first Isaiah, 
roughly chapters 1 to 39, happens before the exile. You remember the exile. We've talked about it a lot. It's pre-exilic. First Isaiah talks a lot about how bad specific rulers are, talks about the spiral toward exile, and the endurance of a faithful remnant of God's people. Second Isaiah, roughly chapters 40 to 55 of this incredibly long book, is exilic. During the exile, second Isaiah promises that faithful remnant they will get to return from the exile. They get to go back home. That contains some of the most hopeful language in all of Scripture. Third Isaiah, chapters 56 to 66, from which Jesus is reading here, is post-exilic. This means that it dates roughly to the same time period as the passage we talked about last week from Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, if you remember last week, I know you all were wrapped paying attention last week. If you remember, the drama of that time was how are we going to rebuild our community after the trauma of exile? Was rebuilding best done with secure walls, with tight borders, strict religious practices and strong prohibitions against foreigners. That was the perspective of Ezra and Nehemiah. But third Isaiah talks about rebuilding the culture in a different way. Third Isaiah imagines that people from all over the world will come and we won't turn them away because when they come, they will come to worship our God as the true God. Isaiah imagines that that faithful people will embrace our God and signify God's return by focusing on enacting justice, God's justice. Sabbath-keeping and other markers of our religious identity, those will still be important, but Isaiah imagines it's acting with righteousness, righteousness that embodies God's intentions for all of God's people that will signify God has returned. Good news for the poor, release for the prisoners, freedom for the oppressed, debt forgiveness. We will all know, Isaiah says, that God is with us when there is both faithfulness and righteousness. I hope you hear how third Isaiah offers a different idea of what God's people should be focusing on than was offered by Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, third Isaiah is different in one other important way. Third Isaiah begins a move in sacred scripture from prophecy toward eschatology. Now, I know I just lost about half of you because those sound like esoteric, academic, jargony words. But this is super important right now, so stay with me for a second. Most prophets are rooted in the present moment. They are talking about things that are going on right now. Prophets locate evil within and among us. And because evil is in us, We can repent from it. We can turn from it today. And a prophet says, then God will act in this moment to restore God's people. Prophetic eschatology, however, shifts the time period for God's redemptive action. Eschatology will take a longer horizon 
for God's redemption to take place among us. God will still save us, but that salvation might happen later than we expected. It may even require that God create a new time in order for it to take place. Eschatology, and this is also important, tends to shift the location of evil outside of the boundaries of the community. Evil is found not so much in us and among us anymore, but it's in the occupying empires and the social structures that are huge and outside of anyone's control. Third, Isaiah suggests that God may need to create a new heaven and a new earth before any of us actually see God's redemption. It was several hundred years between Third Isaiah and the time of Jesus. And during that time, the empires around Israel had grown in strength and size. Finally, the Romans arrived on the scene, and the world had never seen armies that strong. They'd never seen domination so overwhelming. And so as those empires around Israel grew in size, Israel developed a greater and greater appetite for eschatology. God's deliverance will come, but it's somehow going to have to crush the evil empire. It's going to require some cataclysm, some apocalypse to defeat that strong of an evil. The focus within the community was less on prophecy, less on repentance, on turning away from the evils in our midst, more on envisioning the day of the Lord, the coming of our cosmic deliverance. And then Jesus walks in to the synagogue. Everybody knows him. They watched him grow up, those people. They watched him grow up before their very eyes, Mary and Joseph's boy. And now here he is, a rabbi of sorts, a teacher with gracious words to speak. And he reads that day this provocative segment of Isaiah, a section that imagines the anointed one of God bringing justice. And I imagine that some of those folks in the synagogue loved that justice talk. Yes, yes, God is about justice, and, and so should we be. I wonder when that justice will come. And then Jesus says, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. It's fulfilled today. Okay, well, now he's saying something a little bit new. He's taken this text that kind of imagines a longer view of history, one that says we'll get there eventually. The long arc of history will bend eventually toward righteousness, but now he's compressed the timeline. He's saying that the eschaton, the end of history, is now. God has come now. All the contents of Isaiah's vision, good news for the poor, release for the captives, forgiveness of debts, foreigners coming to worship the true God. God is making all of this happen right now. What would you do? 
I mean, what would happen, do you imagine, if a child of this church, one of your own children maybe, showed up here and stood up here and said, people of North Decatur, the time for God's deliverance, the time for our righteousness on earth is now. The righteous among you will be drawn into God's beloved community and those deemed unrighteous will be cast out. I'd imagine that the most radical among you would say, let's go, let's do this. I think that was probably true in Nazareth, too. After all, I mean, they were all struggling to get by. All of them were living under the boot of the ungodly Roman occupiers. They knew the Roman Empire, the evil empire, needed to fall. Maybe Jesus was right. The time is now. God is here. God will bring justice to our people. And then Jesus keeps talking. Who said God's deliverance would be for you? I mean, maybe you are the ones doing injustice. You think the problems are out there with someone else? You think the evil lies only with the Romans? Have you noticed your daily pettiness? the hurts you inflict on each other? Have you noticed the silences you keep about the injustices around you? Have you noticed the way that you have allowed your lives to be so conformed to evil, so comfortable with evil that you no longer even see it? You are God's people. You should have learned righteousness a long time ago. Maybe you've been blaming it all on the big systemic oppressions and waiting for God to come and deliver you from your enemy one day in the future, and in so doing, you failed to see all the ways that you are the enemy of God's righteousness. Our God is a God of the oppressed who demands an end to oppression. Our God loves those who are poor not in spite of who they are, but because of it. Our God releases captives. Our God forgives every debt. Our God demands not only faithfulness, but righteousness. Our God, we know, one day will come and deliver God's people, and that day is today. It's today. This scripture is fulfilled in your ears. The arc of history is being fulfilled before your eyes. Just don't. Whatever you do, don't assume that you are on the right side of that history. So how do you feel now? Do you love the sermon? Or do you hate it? Let the church say amen.
Beloveds of God, we do not have to wait for a day in some future when God's deliverance will come. Today is the day to make manifest all of God's promises for all of God's people. So go from this place and be people who do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. Today is the day the Lord has made. God is here with us. Go share the good news. May the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of God's Holy Spirit be with you today and forever. Let the church say, Amen.